Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, we've got part two of our 150th episode celebration. That's right, this milestone is so special, we had to break it into two parts. Breaking Badness is next. We're back for part two of our 150th episode extravaganza. Last week, you heard from Kelsey LaBelle, Tim Helming, Taylor Wilkes-Pierce, and Ian Campbell. This week, we're going to continue the celebration and talk to a few more Domain Tools folks who we can always count on to be on the podcast when needed. So we're going to be talking to Daniel Schwalbe, Sean McNee, Aaron G. Clef, and Kelly Malloy. There are some great conversations in here. So without further ado, let's get started. All right, well, we are going to be talking now with Daniel Schwalbe, who is the CISO and VP of Information Technology here at Domain Tools. Thank you for joining us today, Daniel. Hello. Well, okay, so how... Did you get interested in InfoSec? Let's start there. Have you always, you know, wanted to be in this industry? Um, I, I don't believe I've always been in this industry, wanted to be in this industry, but I am super happy that's where I ended up and I really wouldn't want to do anything else. Like, like because Popstar didn't work yeah, out? Yeah, you know, uh, there may be some, uh, this is pre-YouTube, so um, there's no evidence, but that's not what we're talking about right now. Um. I'm I am older than most people think. Um, I've always suffered from the uh, never looking your age problem uh, that some of us have, which sounds cool, and everybody tells me, "Oh, it'll be great when you get older." But no, not so much actually, because when I used to work uh, at the university, I would like routinely walk into meetings, and people were like, "What's this student doing here?" I'm like, uh, "No, I'm actually the di- director of uh, InfoSec." But okay, um, I I had very much a right place, right time experience. So I've, I've, I've been into you know, computers and like that since I, you know, was a early teenager. You, you've been a nerd uh, for how long? Card carrying nerd since birth, pretty much. Um, and so uh, I always had an interest in that. And then um, when I uh, moved to the States and uh, went to University of Washington for my undergrad, uh, I got a job in a, a computer lab there um, and sort of expanded my horizon and university computing, especially in the nineties, you know, was like the best connectivity and so much uh, technology available and so much cool research that, you know, I was like, Oh, I, I like this. And then uh, I got a student job at the computing, you know, central IT department at the time. And so I got to know a whole bunch of people there and how everything worked. Uh, and then I did a, a detour uh, through uh, the U.S. Army and a police department. And then I ended up uh, getting an IT support job uh, on campus full time while I was still going to school. Uh, and that sort of opened the the gates a little bit more to more professional 
you know, type exposure to how the university ran its networks, et cetera. And then uh, the central IT department at the time in the 90s didn't really have a formal security team yet because um, security, while it was a thing, uh, was still very much embedded within the IT or uh, operations uh, departments because those were the people who would you know, maintain the servers and admin them, et cetera. And so when there were security events, et cetera, those would be the people to respond to them. And so late 90s, early 2000s is when, um, you know, at least at places like uh, the university, uh, security was first starting to get formalized and became sort of its own discipline. Now, we're probably going to get a lot of angry letters to this say like, well, I've been doing security since the 80s. Like, I, I don't doubt or dispute that. I mean, there were computer operators in the 70s who arguably were security people. But my point is that as a formal discipline, um, security didn't really start um, as its own thing until the late 90s. Uh, fight me. So then uh, a position was created that a, a few friends of mine were already on the larger team. And they're like, hey, you should apply for this. Uh, we're, we're hiring a security engineer. And between you know, my military background and doing uh, some other computer work, uh, security adjacent work, I was like, huh, this sounds like an interesting thing. So I'm going to apply. And I got the job. And that was the beginning of my uh, 23-year-old into uh, infrastructure. And uh, I've definitely learned a lot along the way, and I'm still enjoying myself. And now, as the chief information security officer here at Domain Tools, um, I'm excited uh, to you know, bring my uh, experience uh, to bear here and uh, run and improve the security program at uh, Domain Tools. So, like, as the CISO, it's a pretty, I think a lot of people would describe it as, you know, a more stressful role. So what, what worries you? What keeps you up at night? You know, just in general. Oh, I'm, I don't know that we have enough time in this episode to talk about all of that, but um, you, you are right. Uh, there's a lot of things I do worry about and professionally have to worry about. Um, now, experience also helps sorting those into different buckets like yeah this could be bad but you know what this is not keeping me up at night because there is so much bigger things to worry about so i think any any new person that's breaking into the industry as like maybe a sock analyst or something it can be very overwhelming at first uh and i have a great team here at domain tools uh but there's you know some folks who are still sort of under uh, slightly more junior end when it comes to security. They have lots of experience in in you know other facets of IT and and uh, operations, but security specifically, um, I sometimes have to be like, yeah. So this seems bad, but if you take it into you know uh, uh, perspective of those this and this and this, then it's actually not as bad as it may seem. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way many times over over the decades so i'm i'm glad that i can um share that sort of experience with with my team to just kind of make them better at discerning is this just smoke or is this a three alarm fire so kind of excuse me as a follow up to that so you seem like a pretty relaxed person and you know in a sidebar conversation you kind of revealed 
you might not be. <laughs> and, and, and I can relate to that because I feel uh, I'm on that same wavelength and I probably wouldn't pick that as, as a, pro- you feel like you worry professionally. Uh, I'm, I'm a hoot at parties, you know, always uh, thinking of the worst case scenario, you know, always having a plan and six backup plans for like a quick exit or, you know, disaster or whatnot. That is definitely a professional hazard and close friends of mine have learned to live with it. Uh, some other people probably find that very annoying, but I can't help it. It's it's in my nature and then it's also my job. So uh, I, I like to be prepared. I don't like knowable unknowns. Um, so if, if, if there's an unknown that you can find the answer to, uh, I want the answer, uh, because, you know, unknowns is what make things, uh, difficult to, uh, triage and calculate. But, uh, you know, I, as you can see, that's goes over real well with, uh, you know, a lot of people who are not necessarily in the biz. Do you have any thoughts on advice you'd give other people to stay calm in a high stress position? Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't come out of the box like this. Uh, when I was a, a junior, you know, frontline, uh, security engineer, um, you know, everything immediately went to 11 and like everybody was out to get us. And so it, it if, if you don't manage that, it, it's going to lead to burnout. And I had, I had good managers at the time that kind of put things in perspective. Shout out to uh, my former boss, Kirk Bailey, who doesn't listen to podcasts, so he's never going to hear this. But um, I've learned a lot from him uh, when I worked for him on how to not immediately, you know, turn the knob to 11 or pull the red handle and be measured about that. And that that's in part also necessary that when something actually really bad happens, you know, you don't have the, the boy who cried wolf problem where if everything is immediately a, a three alarm fire, then people are going to start tuning you out. But then when you actually need all hands on deck, because now this is the big one, people are going to be like, yeah, whatever another one of those, we're not going to do anything. So uh, it is helpful. But in, t- in terms of coping mechanisms, I think, you know, it's a little trite, but age and experience helps. If you've seen the same thing go down, you know, 10 times, you can learn from that. And, you know, incremental improvements, like, okay, last time we tried this, didn't go so well. Let's try something else this time. Uh, and then also, as you get more, you know, senior in your role, uh, you know, I like I said, I started out in uh, in the trenches as a frontline security engineer, then became lead security engineer, became a manager, assistant director, director, associate CISO, and finally, you know, CISO here at Domain Tools. And um, it doesn't go over very well if as a senior leader you're you know immediately go to the sky is falling you know chicken little uh so it, it it certainly as as i've advanced in my career uh forced me to be somewhat more measured about it again to be taken seriously and not just just outright dismissed as a crazy no matter how accurate you may be um and so i think the uh just having having been in the seat for a while and having seen a lot of things kind of you, you can make a choice do you learn from that and try to improve yourself that's my approach or do you like treat every single incident as you know a brand new thing that like is going to end the world then i don't think you're going to have uh, much longevity i think uh, having a good team 
and a good manager. You know, uh, Tim Chen, our CEO, is my boss, uh, who is an excellent manager. Um, shout out to Tim. Uh, but no, he's he's given me a lot of uh, autonomy in terms of you know how to to run security, and he uh, backs it up. Uh, from the top down, and that's critical. I've been in situations before where upper management really didn't believe in, um, you know, security or like, yeah, that's something we need to do, but like, you know, don't get in our way type stuff. Um, that's certainly not the case here, and I'm very happy with that. And so I try to approach everything, you know, my, my job is to manage risk for the company and ideally, uh, you know, prevent uh, our crown jewels from, you know, being stolen, but how to go about this, there's a million different ways. And, you know, the tack that I've taken is to, you know, look and watch for everything, but be careful uh, about which rocks you kick over. Let's go to something a little more, not that, not that InfoSec isn't fun, but everybody likes to talk about their interests outside of work. Uh, and I know you have kind of a lot. Can, can <laughs> you do a lot of things? Uh, I don't know if we can get to all of them today, but you know, do you want to share some of those with our listeners? So one of the things that I really enjoy doing is uh, beekeeping. Uh, so I've been a beekeeper for over a dozen years, and I. It fascinates me. It kind of is relaxing, especially like on a nice uh, summer afternoon after a tough day at the old job. You know, walk out there, just grab a lawn chair, crack open a beer and just watch the bees do their thing coming and going from the hives uh, is very relaxing. And um, their whole um, psychology really amazes me. I mean, they're itty bitty tiny. They have itty bitty tiny brains, you know, size of a pinhead or something. Uh, yet the amount of information that they're able to communicate non-verbally, hey, there's good stuff to be had in this direction at this distance, and they can share it with other members of their hive and they understand what it means and can find it. I mean, that's just fascinating to me. And then the whole, you know, swarm behavior when they decide, nope, we don't have enough space when the beekeepers may be falling down on the job and doesn't manage the space properly. They just decide that half of them plus the old queen is going to take off right now. And then they all leave. And then they sit down somewhere and then they send out scouts to figure out a potential new home location and they go all over the place and then they have to come back and take a vote and say, no, my place is the better place. Come check it out. And this can take, you know, 24, 36 hours. But at one point they make a decision. This is our new home. Then the whole thing takes off and flies to the new uh, location. It's it's the craziest thing. And the fact that, again, they can non-verbally communicate with that much specificity is just fascinating to me. All right. Well, this, this has been really fun, Daniel. Um, thanks so much for, for giving us your time today. Uh, I know you've been, you were at a few shows last year. I'm sure you're going to a few this year. Where, where can people find you? Is, is there anywhere people can, can catch up with you in person that you want to plug? Sure. I'll be at RSA. Please come see our super awesome new booth. Um, you know, if you want to schedule a meeting with me uh, directly, uh, happy to do that. And if you just want to stop by and say hi, chances are I'll be at the booth uh, for parts of each uh, show day. Um 
forward-looking, I will probably be at Black Hat. So if that's more your jam, come find me there. And then uh, other venues, uh, TBD, and we'll, we'll probably announce them on the website. Next up, we are going to be talking with Sean McNee, who is our CTO here at Domain Tools. Uh, Sean's been on the podcast um, a few times, uh, you know, even most recently uh, with our Quadrant Security episode that was uh, end of January. But um, Sean, thanks for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm very happy to be here. Excellent. So um, so you've been with Domain Tools for, a, I'm not sure how many years. How many years has it been? Six years. Oh my gosh. Did you start at the same time as Kelsey? Uh, just after her, I believe. Yes. Okay. That's cool. So, so you started six years ago and, and your role has kind of grown and evolved. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit for our listeners? Sure. Uh, well, I have a PhD in computer science from the University of Minnesota, uh, in personalization and recommender systems. So studying how the relationship exists between people and products. So movie recommendations, book recommendations. Uh, from that, I moved into the most obvious field to go into, which is e-discovery, which is uh, helping lawyers identify emails that are important for lawsuits. Technical term here is responsiveness. But I tried to use recommender systems to help make predictions about which emails might be interesting or not interesting for a case. So it was cool text analytics. It was dealing with things that mattered uh, greatly in terms of lawsuits. But if I'm going to be honest with myself, didn't always left me feeling fulfilled um, in my soul. All right. So, uh, you know, after that, I, I did consulting for a little while and ended up being hired by Domain Tools as a data science consultant and then moved into a full-time role in the research team. Uh, so I was a, a data scientist and from there moved into being the director of research and then up into being yeah interim CTO, uh, which I have had up until now. And then I am now transitioning back to being VP of research now that we've hired our chief product officer, uh, Chad Bacher. So it's it's been an awesome ride. What are you looking forward to most uh, as you transition into your new role? Oh, getting back into the code, doing machine learning work, um, kind of exploring the depths of the data that we have, uh, trying to help everybody who's doing security research at Domain Tools understand what we're doing, organize priorities, and just make the internet a better place. Like the... The big reason for coming to Domain Tools was the mission and the vision, right? Make the internet a better place. Like that resonated so deeply with me, whereas eDiscovery didn't. That if I can do work that, if I can do work where bad actors have a bad day every day, right? That brings me great joy. <laughs> I, that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, I know it's probably kind of like a pipe dream to make the internet like it, it's it, there will always be badness out there I guess is what I'm trying to say mm -hmm. but like what would like, in an ideal world like what what do you like what would be your wish like what would be a safe internet like if you had to define it uh 
Well, the internet... That might be yeah. a big question. It might be too big of a It is a big question, right? <laughs> the internet's a place for the um, open and fair exchange of ideas, right? And that then leads to commerce. It leads to new research. It leads to improvements around quality of life. But it needs to be an open, it needs to be an honest, needs to be an equitable playing field. And when you have people who are taking advantage of certain inequalities that exist, and here I'm talking about bad actors looking to scam people, looking to steal money, steal resources, it's not, you know, it's not what the vision when the internet was created for, and it's not what's going to make the internet the powerful tool it needs to be going forward. So it's, it's to kind of say, hey, there's, this is an open resource for all, and let's make sure everybody can access it and make use of it to improve their lives. Gotcha. That's, that's excellent. I love that idea. I, I hope we can make it to that kind of utopia at some point. Um, so you kind of alluded to this, um, you know, talking about your, uh, your career path and how you ended up at Domain Tools, but I, I'm guessing I know the answer probably, but have you always been interested in InfoSec? And I feel like it's yes, but. Uh, I've always been deeply interested in computers okay. and was interested in operating systems and networking from all, for a long time. I was almost did networking for my PhD, uh, but I didn't know it was cybersecurity until people told me it was cybersecurity. I was just always like, well, how does operating systems work and how can you make them do other cool things? And then when I learned, oh, this is actually people, how they're hacking systems. I'm like, oh, like it's a big light bulb moment. So um, just to pivot a little bit to talk about the podcast. So you're a little newer to the podcast as as I understand it, but you're hoping to get a little more involved. And I think you will. Um, what do you, What would you like to see from Breaking Badness this coming year? Well, I, I was first on the podcast uh, pre-pandemic. So um, back when we had um, uh, Emily Hacker as, as one of our main hosts, I did a couple episodes with her back in the day. So that was a lot of fun. Um, going forward with the podcast, what I want to see? Uh, I've always loved these voices from InfoSec. Right. So doing the daily or the weekly show where we like, here's the news articles, here's what's going on. Right. The puns are great. I and I love the the analysis and thought. But being able to actually talk about what it means to be in cybersecurity and infosec and it's it's people working together to make the Internet a better place. So providing a platform for a wider variety of voices to have important conversations. I'd love to see us do more of that. You're in luck, my friend. We're going to be doing that a lot more this year. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Mr. Burns' hands. Um, So what do you, just so people can get to know you a little bit better, what do you like to do outside of of work? Are are there any hobbies or interests you'd you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh, yeah. Well, so living in the Seattle area, it's always nice to get outside and get into the woods. So the usual, you know, hiking, camping, you know, getting around, seeing the trees and the mountains. It's awesome for for people's mental health and and awareness. Um, I also play bass guitar. I was in a band in grad school. I've not been in a band for a while, but I do enjoy 
uh, stretching the fingers when I can. Back in the day, I also did uh, a lot of ballroom dancing, uh, especially East Coast Swing. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I like to get out and, and move around when I can. Although recently I've, I've had some, some back issues, so I haven't done as, as much of that as, as I could. So um, just to kind of wrap things up, um, you know, being, um, you know, at the VP of research, uh, at, who should who should people be following? If, you, if you're listening to this podcast and, and you're hearing, you know, you're really into research, uh, who, who do you recommend uh, we follow, uh, you know, to get other voices uh, in, in there? Uh, well, you know, I recommend starting with a bunch of other podcasts first, right? I mean, you can find specific people um, on Twitter or in Mastodon, and those are always valuable. But, you know, I just recommend people just start with a broader base first, make sure you're not missing any of the big things. So, you know, some of the more popular podcasts, uh, Smashing Security, uh, CyberWire has a number of podcasts. I love the Hacking Humans podcast that they do. Uh, Risky Biz is another interesting one that provides, you know, up-to-date uh, there also are a couple of podcasts that have um, historical information, right, which I also found super valuable. And the two big ones there, uh, Darknet Diaries and Malicious Life. And and those two are like reflections on older stories of what's happened. They do interviews with people that kind of tell the stories of the past. And I think, you know, you have to know your history to be prepared for today. So I recommend all of those as a great foundation. Awesome. I hope people, I'll, I'll be sure to list those in our show notes. So uh, if anyone's un- unfamiliar with them, they can check them out. Um, I guess just to finish up, is there anything else that you want to plug before, before we sign off? Are there any conferences that you'll be at or any social media you want to share? Uh, well, you, sh- you should follow our blog. We're putting out new research articles uh, on a regular basis, trying to you know make the internet a better place. Uh, I am planning this summer to you know be in Vegas for you know the Security Week Hackers Conference with Black Hat and DefCon. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to other things over the course of the year. Excellent. Well, Sean, thanks so much for being here today, and we're looking forward to having you more on the podcast. But uh, we really appreciate your time, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. And now we are going to be talking with Aaron G. Clef, who is the Senior Data Engineer at Domain Tools. Um, Aaron's also been on the podcast a few times, which has been great. Yeah. Hi, Aaron. How are you hey. doing? Doing okay. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. Um, yeah. Thank you for being um, on the podcast. Um, we, like I, I've said in a couple of these, we have a really strong bench. So whenever <laughs> the main three, Kelsey, Taylor, Tim, are unable to to be there, we've, we've got people like you and and Ian and Sean and mm. and so on. So thank you so much for that. Oh, no problem. It's, it's an interesting difference from, you know, being heads down over a keyboard all day. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Um, well, yeah, let's 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 get into it. Um, let's start with, you know, what what do you do at Domain Tools for those who might not know? Yeah, so, as you said, my official title is Senior Data Engineer. Um, that means I'm on the research team. So I, I think actually somebody on this podcast said that means I, I play with the data. 
and yeah. work with the data that domain tools collects, um, not from sort of a threat intelligence point of view, more from a data science point of view. I'm looking for patterns. I'm trying to find new ways to find stuff, build things never done before, that kind of thing. That's really cool. Like, get... Can you talk a little bit about like what that means? Like what kind of patterns get like, can you elaborate? Sure. Well, like domain tools has a, um, a machine learning algorithm that we use uh, for a threat profile. Um, and the research team maintains that we talk about you know, ways to improve that ways to make it more accurate, things like that. Um, I'm actually in the middle of looking at, are there ways that we can use our screenshots um, more effectively rather than just sort of presenting someone a thing saying, here's a screenshot. Can we say things about those screenshots? That's really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing more about that, especially because we've um, we've had a blog post, I believe, by Joe Santseve about screenshotting mm-hmm. um, and that, um, you know, by the time this comes out, he will have uh, a paper published on that as well. So I, I imagine this builds off of that. Oh, yeah. I'm stealing one or two of his ideas is one of the things we could do. Um, and yeah, I'm absolutely shameless at stealing some of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but I'm sure he appreciates it. Well, yeah, no, he's, he's happy to see it. He's like, oh, you use that? Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. I, I can just see him saying that right now. That's so cool. Um, well, can you describe your path to, to InfoSec a little bit? Did you know you always wanted to, to be doing something like this? Or did you want to be a, a pop star and that didn't work out? Or? So in hindsight, InfoSec was probably inevitable. But at the time, it didn't look that way. Um I got no, I was in music school first time around. Um, no way. Yeah. I was so, I was kidding about the pop star thing. <laughs> well, we've never been a pop star. I went to a classical music school. Um, oh my gosh. I got in a ton of trouble there for shoulder surfing the admin password of our library's network. I made myself an admin. Um, I got caught by the library administrator and just screamed at, he was so angry at me. Um, later on in a different school, um, a classmate taught me how to log into the school's Unix systems by crashing the login UI. Um, and even when I was a music major, I always kind of enjoyed the pieces that were about doing the wrong things, like, you know, hitting piano strings with hammers, making music out of glasses, stuff like that. So I was always sort of that guy who did the wrong things. Um, so looking back on it, you know, this was probably inevitable, um, but, you know, officially, um, I shifted gears to physics after music. I was a physics grad student in the late 90s, and I realized that I was just never going to get a job in academia in physics. That, that was just not a path that was open to me. Um, and at the time, the dot-com boom was happening pretty loudly just up the road. So I bailed on a grad degree and went and joined a, a web hosting company. About three or four months into that, I was one of the only people in the server monitoring team who got just really into why did this machine get hacked? One of the machines got popped. I was the one who really cared. And the very nascent security team there went, we can teach you everything else, but you care. Come on over here. Um, And from that point on, I was sort of off to the races. That's really cool. So, um, so you, you don't have a degree in data science. Like you're, you're completely self-taught. Correct. Um, I have three bachelor's degrees because I'm a gigantic nerd, um, but they are in classical saxophone performance, audio engineering, and physics. Oh my gosh, that is so interesting. I love all that. That and yeah. so, what would you? So, I think that's really cool about you know being self-taught when it comes to you know infosec, and I think a lot of our listeners really care about that too, especially you know mm-hmm. if people are trying to make the career change um, or 
you know, just starting out and wondering, you know, where to start? Like, so, so what would you say to somebody that, you know, maybe is in a major right now that they think, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I'm mm-hmm. interested in this. Like, like what, what could they do you think that would help them? Yeah. I, it's hard. I feel bad because my path to InfoSec was comparatively easy because there almost was no InfoSec career when I started. I see. Um, so, you know, we were inventing this stuff when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, these days you have to be able to prove stuff and that's hard. Um, for folks that aren't, immediately in an InfoSec career and trying to shift, the biggest thing I would say would be learn some of the basics. Um, one of the best paths to InfoSec is probably through your help desk or your knock in an organization. Um, because knowing how the things work under the hood is going to make it so much easier to do everything else. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, unfortunately, is a bit of a derail. I accept that. You know, somebody wants to go into security, spending two years at a knock is boring. I get it. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you if you know what somebody means when they say, okay, this whole slash 24 is problematic. You know, if yeah. I say a slash 24, a networking person knows what that means. Okay. Um, if you've never worked in networking, you're going to look at me like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but that's the kind of thing that's going to come up. So knowing the basics and knowing how the things work under the hood, knowing what your knock and your sock and your just help desk are going to see from a security point of view is super, super valuable. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit and, mm-hmm. and talk about life outside of InfoSec. So you mentioned uh, you you play you well, you have played the sex. Do you still like to do that? Uh, I would love to. The challenge for this action is for my life right now doesn't really fit. Um, you can't or you really shouldn't play the saxophone within or play any wind instrument really within about a half an hour of eating. Okay. Because you'll get food particles in the horn. It'll start to get moldy and gross. It's just a bad idea. Um, and the problem is now I have a day job and a kid. And by the time I have either the time to do it and not eaten... Yeah. It's like nine o'clock at night and I just want to go to bed. That's that's fair. That's fair. I didn't know that about food particles. I, I used to play the flute and nobody shared that with me. Well, I could, and I imagine it's the same. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, they don't make as big a deal of it for your elementary, junior, high school and even up to in high school because they just want you to play. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, but, you know, by the time I was getting to the point where like, no, you have a horn that you want to play for the rest of your life. Don't make it moldy, kid. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can imagine that's really hard to clean once uh, once yeah. it's in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I was I was doing a bunch of music. So in the before times, before COVID blew everything up, um, I actually was singing in a choir. OK, um, that's really I quite cool. enjoyed that. I sang with them for almost 20 years before the plague shot everything down. OK. Um, and they have come back to singing again. I'm still not feeling terribly comfortable with that. And I suspect that is just my lizard brain being irrational. Mm. Um, but, you know, I may get there eventually. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so outside of work, I really quite enjoyed that. Um, that was just, you know, keeping the sort of the music um, itch scratched. Yeah. Um, I mean, and as I mentioned, I've got a kid. He has enough energy to power a small city. So, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of my time. <laughs> Well, well, Aaron, this has been great. Maybe, uh, 
we'll we'll end with this. Uh, you know, you um, you spoke at MWISE last year with Tim Helming, um, and I'll sh- we'll share the link for that in our show notes. But can can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, it was neat. There were, I mean, it's you know, giving a talk is always a little stressful because you're getting up there and sort of just saying I know stuff, and you desperately hope that somebody doesn't wave their, raise their hand saying I know more. Um, <laughs> but overall, I mean, it went really well. I. I was really struck by actually two things. Um, one of them was, you know, they gave us feedback um, after the conference. They had people fill out little questionnaires about how well they like, you know, how well they thought the talks were, how relevant they were. Um, and we got five out of five for both being knowledgeable and being relevant to people's day-to-day work. Um, and it was a second one that I was actually really happy about because we'd really gone out of our way to say not just here is some stuff, but here are things you can do to find things like this yourself. Um and it was important to me that we do that. Um, so I was really glad to hear that that came through. Um, the other thing that really struck me was sort of funny was, you know, after you give a talk, people come up to the, come up to you afterwards just to chat about, you know, maybe a talk, but the talk itself actually becomes kind of an invitation to them to talk about whatever it is that's on their mind. So we got some questions about the talk, but we got a lot of questions that were just, Hey, you know about DNS. Let's talk about DNS. Um, <laughs> I really spent like five minutes talking about a just generic DNS problem that one guy was having because I had spent half an hour talking about DNS just then. And he was like, you can answer my question. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great that he recognized that in you. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because it, 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 what it meant was the talk was, wasn't just a one way. I have data. It was sort of an invitation to, I know this subject. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And then it's more collaborative mm-hmm. in that way. It's so cool. Well, can um, do you, are we going to be able to catch you at any other conferences this year? Is that kind of TBD? Um, yeah, I haven't applied to speak at any other conferences yet this year. Um, I have calendar reminders to buy tickets for B-Sides Charm, Camless, and ShmooCon. Um, but I haven't thought about presenting at any of those yet. Um, I think the call for papers is already closed for B-Sides Charm anyway. Um, I mean, mind you, I didn't have plans to speak at MWISE this time last year either. And, you know, here we are. So, you know, can't guarantee anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, we can keep everybody apprised of uh, anything that changes. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, and people, people, if they want to um, connect with you, is it best to find you on LinkedIn or Mastodon? Um, yeah, either of those will work fine. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm gclef at mstdn.social. And I'm probably the only G-Clef in the world that's on um, LinkedIn. So you should be able to find me fairly quickly. <laughs> cool. Well, well, thanks, Aaron. This has been great to get, getting to know you a little bit. Um, I know our, our listeners are probably appreciative of that, too, because you've been on a couple of times. I'm sure we're going to be seeing you uh, at some point again on the podcast no, this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Okay, we are here with Kelly Malloy, who is Director of Network Development and Technology here at Domain Tools. And Kelly has uh, been so nice to be on the podcast before, and I'm looking forward to any upcoming uh, uh, guest appearances she may make throughout the year. But Kelly, great to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about um, who you are and what you do here at Domain Tools? So my title is Director of Network Development, which um, is not perhaps the most uh, enlightening title in the world. But what I do is I'm in charge of collecting uh, data, big data, 
primarily from DNS sensor or DNS servers um, that run our sensor software. And my job is to acquire new sensors and maintain the relationships with our existing sensors. And then I also am in charge of our grants program um, and for academics and researchers and people who are doing good on the internet. Uh, we call them internet superheroes. That's so cool. Um, and some of what you do too, um, a lot, uh, at domain tools, like the work that you get is through word of mouth. Can, can you share what you wish people knew about domain tools? I wish people knew that um, we are happy to take your data. Um, it does not really matter what kind of data it is. We can find a use for it. Um, we can we can make something work, and we often strike in-kind deals where you give us data and we give you access to, um, in my case, normally um, DNSDB, but uh, we can always negotiate something. That's really cool. Um, maybe really quick, um, can you talk a little bit about how you how you came to be at Domain Tools? What was your career path like? Well, so my, um, in college, I majored in journalism. And when I graduated, I couldn't get a job as a journalist. There was just nothing out there. And so I went to work as a technical writer for the federal government. And in the course of that, I was kind of self-taught. And I, um, I just taught myself everything I needed to know about IT, and then I accidentally got into spam fighting um, when the server at the company I work for was, was overwhelmed by email spam. And so I kind of backed into that, and that became my specialty. I went to work for Paul Vixie and the MAPS RBL, and then I went to work and managed another DNSBL at um, Cisco for SpamCop, and then I went, came back to work for Paul Vixie again here at um, Farsight, which is now Domain Tools. Cool. That's awesome. And uh, I'm jumping around a little bit in my questions, but I wanted to talk about some of the conferences that that you've been to and, and are going to. So um, I think you mentioned um, you went to one last year, and I can't remember what that was, but can you talk about, you know, what, what's coming up for you? Like what, what are you excited for conference wise? Um, um, are, are you going to be speaking at any this year? Well, so next week I go to the, to Nanog in Atlanta, which is the North American network operators group. Um, and I'm excited about that because there are lots of people I know there and it's a chance to kind of maintain relationships we have and extend them, hopefully. And also you just learn a lot. It's very enlightening. Um, and then the week after that, I'm going to MOG, which is um, Messaging Anti-Abuse Working Group. Um, and that's in San Francisco. And I will be there for the week and I will be meeting more people with whom to trade data and helping people who want to use data more effectively. Um, I kind of consult on that as necessary. And then after that, the week after that, I go to NICAR, which is the National Institute for Computer Assisted Reporting. And I'm going to teach along with 
Daniel, our CISO, um, we're going to teach a class on using passive DNS in investigations for journalists. And um, I, we're going to have 30 to 35 people in our class and we're going to we're going to get them going, get them moving. Oh, wow. That sounds really cool. I'm excited to hear all about that. Um, maybe we will wrap up with this. Um, let's talk about what you like to do outside of, of domain tools. Like what, what sort of hobbies or, or interests do you have that you'd like to share? Oh gosh. Um, I, (laughs) (laughs) I cook all the time. Um, right now I'm making a lot of bread. Uh, I made focaccia this week. Um, I knit as well. And I, the more complicated, the better. Um, and, uh, I read. I'm a big reader. What's your favorite book? Um, oh gosh, <laughs> that's really hard. I asked the tough questions. Yeah, I just <laughs> um, read. Uh, I just reread a story by Raymond Carver called Cathedral, which I reread every year or so, and I, I think it's amazing. It may be my favorite piece of writing. What is it about it that you like? It's I don't about, think I've heard of it. It's about building. Okay. Building. I'm going to look that up after yeah. this. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely uh, can relate to you on cooking and and crafting. I wish I could knit more, uh, but I, I love crafting. You are a person after my own heart, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I'll teach you next time we have a an all-hands meeting. Um, okay. Bring bring some needles and some yarn. and I have needles and, and yarn. And I'll... I'll, I'll get you going i've taught a bunch of people to knit i can't like i can do the basic stitch the what what do you call it is it just the knit stitch? the knit stitch yeah yeah i can do that but i would like to be more advanced so oh my gosh the next if we if we get to be on site anywhere together that's going to be really exciting i'm super excited i have <laughs> i have a baby blanket pattern for you and i'll bring it and um i'll help you knit the baby blanket i know some babies this is great <laughs> Okay. Oh my gosh. Well, this this is great for me. I I, I hope and I do think that um, our listeners um, um, are going to get a lot out of this. I, I know uh, it's it's exciting to be able to you know learn more about the people behind the mic. Uh, you've uh, been on, like I mentioned, you've been on the podcast before. Uh, looking forward to having you on again. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great to get a peek behind the curtain at, at what you do at domain tools and, and who you are as a person. Yeah. I'm happy to, uh, anybody who is interested in learning more, should reach out. Okay. Great. My email address is on the website. Perfect. Uh, any social media that you want to plug? Um, I have a Twitter account at Kelly Malloy, all one word on Twitter. Oh. And I am the same name on Spoutable. And you can also find me under the same name on Mastodon. Perfect. All right. We will be sure to put that in our show notes. Thank you so much, Kelly, for for being here today. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Awesome. Bye-bye now. A hundred and fifty episodes is a big milestone. And we are so glad you could join us to celebrate. Thank you so much to everyone who makes this show possible. We're very fortunate to have a strong team of people willing to step in when others can't be on the pod. 
150 episodes would not be possible without help from the following. Thank you so much to Tim Helming, who usually records and edits these episodes. Um, He's also willing to jump in and teach others like myself the finer points of Adobe Audition so I can provide some respite when needed. Uh, Once again, thank you to John Roderick, who created the music for Breaking Badness, Um, and he was actually on our 100th episode, if you want to go back and give that one a listen. Thank you so much to Kelsey LaBelle, who has passed the torch and entrusted me to run the podcast. Um, I feel like our sensibilities are pretty similar, so I don't think you had to give up too much creative control, or at least I hope not. Um, And thank you to you, our audience, for tuning in every week and supporting us. 150 episodes would not be possible without you, and, and you are the reason we continue to ideate and create Uh, new stuff uh, for the podcast every week. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and getting to know us a little bit better as a team. Uh, We put so much of ourselves into this podcast um, that it only felt right um, to share a little bit more of us with you. So uh, thank you so much for listening and we hope to catch you next time on Breaking Badness. Thank you so much. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>